All right, so I'm going to do something a little different. And again, we're going to start warming up, getting ready for our big spiritual understandings today. Um, and I want to talk about, we've, I've been making you list the gifts of the Spirit. So I want to talk about the ones that we have covered. Okay, so what was the one last week that we covered? The first one right off the back. Apostle, right. We started with the controversial one, which I'm so happy for. All right. So we started with apostle. So what was it that we learned as a truth on the apostle? And I'm going to put these right here. What are truths that we have come up with? Okay. Let's take a step back. What are truths that we just know from all of our studies up to apostle? What is it that we already know? They're sent out, right. So apostles are sent out. Well, actually, I'm going to put those back under apostle. Yeah. Okay, so we know they're sent out. So what are some truths? I'm going to take a step back, and let's do this. So what are truths about the gifts we already know in general? Let's, it's for the building up of the body. So let's do that one. Building up of the body. And that is in contrast to what? Building up of self, building up of the body. So it's interesting, if you get into a group of believers and something's going on and you feel an urge to pray, what should you do? Pray, because it's coming. I want you to understand the Holy Spirit will start prompting you. I was walking, this is really interesting. I got out of a class and I had met with a woman um, that needed some extra time with me. And as I was walking across, another woman was driving her car out of the parking lot, stops, jumps out runs across, tells me a situation that's going on in her daughter's life right now. And immediately, I just told her, I said, well, let's pray. There were three of us standing right there, and we prayed. And afterwards, she said, thank you so much. Because what are we supposed to do as the body? If you don't know what to do, what's the best thing to do? Always, always. Half the time, I don't know what I'm saying. I just pray. I figure God knows, and if I don't know what to do, he does, so we'll just ask him. And that's one of the things that um, the more we do it, the better we get at it. So it's kind of like, you know, we're exercising. We have this thing that goes on in our culture that we don't want to stand out. And I'm trying, I think, with this study, I think God's just putting it on my heart more and more. Guess what's going to start happening? We stand out whether we like it or not. Because we live in structure, because we believe in authority, because, and guess what's going to happen? The world is going to look at us and give us all of the reasons why that's not the way it should be. But God has his hand on us. We are his body. So if nothing else, we will prevail. Like that's one of the things that I think is great. So anyway, so yeah. So building up of the body. What else? At least one. We have at least one. Correct. Exactly. Everybody is valuable. Yep. What are some other truths? Mm hmm. So, when were they given? I'm going to say through the Holy Spirit. At salvation. 
So if somebody came up to you and said, my gifts have changed over my lifetime, what do you already know to be true? They don't. And how do we know that? We're given salvation. So that may mean that you're not operating in them, and now you are. So that would be one. One of the other things that happens is as you start operating in your gift, it's kind of abroad, but then you start to narrow in, and that happens, um, just so you're aware. But, yeah, but they are given by God through the Holy Spirit at salvation. How do we operate in them? What are the bookends? We have the Holy Spirit on one end. So you know the person has to be saved, and that is paired with love. Love of self? Love of what? Yes. Right. Christ's love for the body. Now, I find this to be really great because as you're functioning in your gift, as you're moving forward, you want to help. You want to be a part. You want to be involved. So there's part of this that goes hand in hand. Um, self disappears, so to speak. But I'm fascinated also, if you have the giftings, how they pop up. I think I shared this with you. Um, if I haven't, I think it's really great. There are people out there with a word of knowledge, which I just love. And what I love, and, and this goes right along with teaching, what I love is, is I come in prepared. And I have been in class when I think I have said something correctly, but it comes out incorrectly, or I've misspoken. And if somebody has a word of knowledge, what do you think happens? They correct me. Absolutely. Absolutely, they correct me. But here's the thing. Are they correcting me? What is God allowing to have happen? Clarification for what? The body. So I don't need to be condemned, upset, or angry that somebody rises up and says, hey, have you thought about it this way? Because that's not a criticism of me. What's happening is God sees people that he loves that are walking in the Holy Spirit in that, and that gets activated, and you can't, this is one of these beautiful things. He's helping teach. Isn't that beautiful? So anyway, that happen, has happened to me twice uh, since I started teaching publicly um, for the church. And I just thought I would tell you, you know, at first it was like, yeah, that is right. Okay, and I can move on. But part of that also is a great example of we don't have to feel convicted or that if something happens. Because, again, God loves us and we're supposed to rise up. And that's how the body functions. And most of the time, whoever offers that correction or wisdom, everybody in the room goes, oh. And I'm always like, yeah, thank you, God. <laughs> anyway, so that's one of the things. So if God puts this gift in us, what is it a form of for us? It's for his glory. And it is called our worship, correct? And Paul goes on to say, offer your body as a, uh-huh, living, by the way, I want to make you all laugh. This is pretty good. So I was teaching last week, and I said living sacrifice. I said, so this is very common to Monty Python, and most of you know what Monty Python is. Nobody in the group knew who Monty Python was. And there was a moment where I went, well, age, anyway. So anyway, oh, cool. I'll have to come up with a new example. Anyway. But that's kind of it. We're not dead yet. He's a living. Huh? Yeah. 
No, I'm not dead yet. I'm not dead yet. Yes. And that's sometimes the way that I look at this is, is we're not dead. We're supposed to continually be offering that and offering up our gifts. And again, gifts, everything that God wanted you to have, he equipped you with. Over time, as you exercise it, as you move forward, you will have more understanding of how to use the gift and be a part of it. That being said, he gave you everything that you needed at that moment. I do not like this idea we walk around that we are not equipped. Get away from that idea because why would God give you a gift and then not have you be able to use it? So make sure you understand that you are equipped with the gift. Now that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be good at it or whatever, but that does mean that you you are fully whatever and if that gift is needed, you can. So, all right. Okay, uh, we learned a little bit about the bond servant. What did we learn about them, uh, about them in particular? Right, so they were after with the full authority of the master. So this is a bond servant. They were to go out in full authority. Now, it's interesting, um, if you come from uh, Catholicism, if you come from earlier churches, uh, you will see this as well. There was always something that represented the authority. And I didn't understand this concept until I went and saw a lot of churches in um, Italy and, and other places. And that is they actually took, it sounds horrid, but understand where I'm going with this, body parts of the apostles and the bones, and they were in these churches, which represented what? The authority of the church. And once you understand, there's kind of a thought process there that you can follow. You know, I walked in, and, you know, you see a finger, and you're like, that's weird. For me, it was very weird. Um, that being said, but understanding that was so the people in the church would know that they had the full authority of Jesus, because this was one of his apostles. Okay? Right? What else did you learn? I'm going to switch over now with about apostles. What else did you learn? Who was a great apostle? Jesus. And whose authority was he under? Mm-hmm, under the Father's. Now everywhere he says, I've come to do the Father's will, what do you know? He was operating... As a bondservant or as an, it's pretty cool, huh? Stop and you're like, hey, looky there. I see the flow of thought. It's really starting to come together. And by the way, some of that's all new for me as well, because now I'm like, oh, that's why that phraseology is always there. That's interesting to me. Okay. All right, and then this is one of my favorite ones. So if somebody is not a true apostle and they are someone who comes in um, and leads people astray and that sort of thing, we're talking someone with not a good heart, that sort of thing, this is really interesting. They're not called, they call them false prophet, but false does not mean non-prophet or non-apostle. It means, which I think is great, a pretender. And we know that, um, we do know that they will exist in end times. 
And the other thing about a pretender, which I think is great, go back to where would they be pretending? Not just to be an apostle, but what else would they be pretending? To be a Christian, which I find to be. So when they talk about sheeps and wolves clothing and that sort of thing, that's the word that you're looking for. It's not that they're not there, it's that they're pretending. Interesting, huh? All right. So we have this all set out. They're sent out. What is it that an apostle does? What is their particular gift? Spread the gospel, right. And by the way, just as a way of teaching, what is the gospel? In case you don't know. The good news, specifically, it's three things. Do you know those three things? That's right. That Christ died. On the third day, he rose again. And death, burial. Oh, buried. He died. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose again. Yep. Three parts of the gospel. And if you want to continue on, what's the other one? He will come again. And what is, by the way, the good news? That the Messiah has come. What did he offer us? Salvation. What is salvation? I'm pushing y'all. Eternal life. And also... If you want to even get any more expounded into it, salvation is we were at enmity with God and now we are not. That is the good news. We were deemed for destruction before the Messiah came and now we are not. (laughs) See how it all flows? It makes me so happy. Anyway, so yeah. Yeah, that gets me very excited. Now... Here's some of the things I want to tell you about knowing this stuff. If you don't know, and we often say, and this is why it makes me a little angry sometimes when people teach, we talk about we need to go spread the gospel, we need to go spread the gospel, we need to go spread the gospel. Well, until I started doing precepts, I don't even think I knew what the gospel was. So I want you to understand that there's a really good benefit to being able to say the gospel is three points or four points. And you want to make sure that people can do those things because we're equipping them to do what God has called us to do. And if you don't know what those things are, then you have a hard time doing what God has called you to do. So one of the things I want to make sure that we do is not just everybody knows this, but really break it down and say, okay, yeah, maybe you don't know it. And it's okay that you don't, but now we're equipping you. Okay? All right, so they were to spread the gospel and go out. So what came that helped them to spread? Holy Spirit, and then what came upon Jerusalem? Persecution. And where were they supposed to go? First to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Judea, and then where else? Samaria, and where else? To the ends of the earth. Okay which I think you've probably heard at Paul's time, the ends of the earth was Spain. Okay, Jerusalem, and and they were to wait before they did this for, mm -hmm, so I want to write that in here too. They were to wait for the Holy Spirit. 
And we talked last time, and I will ask you just as kind of a way to warm up this morning, um, real quick, do we believe that this gifting, this particular, if you look at some of these, some of these elements still exist today? Okay, what would we call them a more generic term? Missionaries. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with you. I would agree that that is, um, these gifts have to exist because we're still going to the ends of the earth. Okay. All right. So that is apostle. That is one gift. So we're going to work on and do prophecy. And I'm also going to put a prophet here. All right. So the first one, who do we know as a prophet? Just Jesus. Yeah. So that's what I was going with. The answer is always. Okay. All right. So we know Jesus is an apostle, but Jesus is also a. Okay. And I want you to kind of get that um, as well. We're going to draw in some other things in a, in a minute. I'm going to put these under the same, but they're, as in your listings, they're two different, prophecy and prophet. Um, we know that John the Baptist was a prophet, and then prophecy also is uh, done. What is it really in the church today as the body? What does it show itself as? Uh-huh. Usually a teacher. You could say preacher. We're going to get into that more today. How does the gift operate when you see it? What is what is the main job of prophecy? To expand, to expand on the word. This is one of my favorite. The person is actually a spokesperson for God. And I told you before I had a teacher early on in college who whenever she said God would say the divine this is one of those times I would say that, a spokesperson for the divine. So you realize the gravity of what we're talking about. And by the way, what happened to them in Old Testament if they misspoke or were called false? They were killed. I want you to understand the gravity. They were killed if they were not. So here's the question I'm going to ask you. Same thing as this. We know that there will be false prophets in in um, coming in this age and have been, they are also called pretenders. Can you think of a time in history of Israel where there was a group of false prophets coming forward and speaking right before something catast a catastrophe happened? Can you think of the time in history in Israel with the prophets? Mm-hmm. They said, we're free. God loves us. He would never banish us from the land. Guess what happened? So here's one of the things I will tell you. you. When you see this happen, we call it tickling the ears, but the other thing was they were telling them what the people wanted to know. It wasn't, again, the gift is speaking for God. But somewhere along the way, it becomes speaking for the people. Here's the thing I want to tell you. Make sure whenever you're thinking about your gift and how you're using it, these two things are always operating. Because we do not, we love the body, 
but we do not want the body to dictate to us what's happening. We always want God to be the head. We want Jesus to be the head of what we are doing. I have a lot of good friends and good people who I've known through Bible study who have taken one bit of scripture that they did not agree with and changed their whole ideology and everything and taken a stand on it. But because they've taken a stand on it, they're speaking for what the people want, not necessarily what God has said. And for that, you know, I know at some point that there will be some sort of reckoning with that. Okay. Okay. What is the purpose of prophecy, if you remember? Mm-hmm. It's to exhort. Comfort. Isn't that wonderful? It's to comfort. It's to edify. It's. Mm-hmm. By the way, exhorting can be conviction. Absolutely. It warns the body. And it can encourage. That's exhortation sometimes, but it can also be this. So where do you think you would see a lot of these things? Exhorting, comfort, ever fighting, building, warning, that sort of thing. Where would you see that maybe today, if not in the American church or the North America church, where would you see some of that happening? From the pulpit? So you have a large group of people that can't read, that can't write, and you're shepherding them. And one of the things is something tragic happens, let's say a bombing in Damascus or around or wherever. Can you see where these would come into play a lot more? Because the body has come together and there is a lot of anxiety. There is a lot of what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And this is one of those that's a lot where you see some of these happen a lot more. Um, comforting. When something happens within the church at large, when you have, for example, major sin take place in leadership and there is a disruption of leadership, those sorts of things that happen, these sorts of gifts get activated uh, by the Holy Spirit because, again, what is God's main purpose? We have the love of the body. But again, at a time when major division would happen, major, you start to see them, you can see how these gifts would start to rise up because Satan has come against. And so we have to make sure that we are shepherding the body, that they are growing in what they're doing. All make sense? Okay. All right. So real quick, just as we go over it, who, who gives us our gift? It is appointed, and I want to use that word, it is appointed by God. Some say empowered by God. Why do you think that terminology is really important to get in your head? 
It's not anything you could do. And that is absolute truth. Um, it's part of, even though you may have a natural ability to do something, when the Holy Spirit has infused you, it takes on a supernatural quality that goes way beyond anything that you could ever do. And part of what's happening here, appointed by God, I want you to understand, so when our flesh kicks up and jealousy, I know that never happens in the church, those sorts of things, it's a good thing to remind us, why is this gift here? Who put this gift in us? That person could no longer do without the help of God. So when we attack another person and their gifting, what are we doing? Yeah. So there you start to see it. Yep. But not always, as Katie would tell you. Yeah. It can be that way. Um, but one of the things I also want to tell you is that it's a supernatural gift because even if you had a natural ability, in your naturalness, you would never be able to do what you're doing at all. That is a guarantee. I'll give you a great example. I've taught over 20 years. I've taught on large stages. I've done a whole bunch of stuff. That being said, this animal is completely different than anything I did. It taught me how to speak correctly um, and, given, and gave me a lot of good ideas in terms of when something, Satan comes against me, I know how to handle some of those things. But when God gets a hold of that speaking gift, it's gone. Like it's not anything, yeah. Give you a good example. I was in class last week, group of people, never had Bible teaching, never been in the word of God. All of a sudden, somebody shoots out of whatever. What about the 144,000? <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right, God. Anyway, and so I start laying a foundation. We did the um, Luke 16 where you did the chasm and that. So I just started ta uh, teaching a little bit so that they would have an idea. And one of them looked at me and said, well, those people that are down in torment, they get a second chance, right? And I said, no. But, 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 and you could see that. And I said, again, man's teaching God's word. I've never seen it in scripture. And all of a sudden, there was this peace that just went through everyone. And it was, and I was sitting up there going, yep, wasn't on the notes, wasn't there. Yeah, and that's how I know I'm like, we did it. Anyway, I get excited. And again, the way to think of your gift is this way. In God's beautiful understanding of what he wanted, he lets us participate. And I think that's really, if you keep your gift, because not only do I get to witness, um, I get the understanding, but I get to witness what the word does for people. And that is the beauty of the gift. If it was all about me and what happened to me, I would miss all that. Um, and you always want to raise people up. And that's what um, Katie listened last week to the uh, teaching on apostle and she told me and again this is katie's words she said i think you were purposely put in that class to teach that she said it was for me she said it was life-changing thank you now again you see the gift being activated you see another teacher talking to me about it that being said what's interesting about that is is you see the gifts of the body raising up, and all she did was agree and compliment, which is she's a mentor as well, but she wouldn't have told me that if she did not believe that, and that's what I know to be true. Okay, make sense? All right. 
Okay, so we're going to dig right in now for today, um, and we're going to get into the next one, which is evangelist. And by the way, before we move on, does anybody have questions about prophets, prophecy, that sort of thing? Did some of those get cleared up last week for you? What I want to start with again today, because I think it's a really good plumb line for what we're talking about, is I just want to put on the board um, Isaiah 61 again. Um, actually, I'm going, to, I'm going to mix this up. Let's go with Luke 4. Yeah, Luke 4, um, around verse 18. What is it that Jesus says he's come to do? Preach the gospel. What else? Claim, uh, claim release to the captive. What else? I got the first two. I'm going to put... Well, anyway, I'm going to leave that there. Okay, recover sight to blind. Does he go on to say anything else? Huh? Not in 18. What does he say in 19? Okay, I want to put that up there. And is there any more? I think that's right. So, in the year of the Lord's favor, for all of you that know, this is Jesus' first coming. It's just a phraseology. So, okay. All right. So, if we were going to talk about evangelists today, or evangelism, what can we say straight up? We know that Jesus was an apostle. We know Jesus was a prophet. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> I almost wrote is, but Jesus was an evangelist. Yeah. Isn't it great? Isn't it great that you see the continuity uh, through all of it? Okay. So this is really interesting because she asked us to look up the terminology. Did any of you get lost in the terminology at all that she was using? Okay. What did you say, Martha? There is. So I will tell you, I did my homework. Then I picked it up again and did it again. Then I picked it up again and did it again. And then last night I told my husband I was really struggling with it. And he sat down and he said, well, teach me. So I tried. So I did it again. And this is one of those things that I'm not sure that this lesson specifically really got into it. 
um, enough for us to really talk about it. So that's one of the things. I'm going to do a quick kind of history because I think that's always good to set context. So I just want to kind of um, give you an idea. So the word actually to preach, which is what I did. So I'm going to do a word thing up here. To preach has several different meanings and different words associated with it. So I'm going to do you some Old Testament. I'm going to do some New Testament. We're kind of going to draw them all together, and I think you'll see where I'm going. So the first one that I want to do um, is actually in Nehemiah 6-7. And this one is to preach, which is in there. And the actual Hebrew word is H-7-1-2-1. And the actual Greek, or sorry, Hebrew is Q-A-R-A. And this one is used 736 times in the Old Testament, which I just, so I'm guessing it's important. (laughs) So I'm like, okay, yeah, 736 times in the Old Testament. So when I see that, I'm like, okay. So, and this is what Nehemiah says. And thou hast appointed prophets to preach, okay, of the, of, um, at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah, and now it shall be reported to the king according to those words. Come now, therefore, and let us take counsel together. This is interesting to me. What are words that we are studying in spiritual gifting now that you already have heard? So what did he do first? And thou hast also appointed, appointed prophets. To, there you go. Isn't it interesting? Wow. So this actually means to proclaim or invite. We talked about a bond servant before, correct? And one of the things that um, going out and doing those things that they were supposed to do, as someone who is calling, we are calling the invitation to come to the banquet. Those that accepted are called called. So a prophet is to issue the invitation. Here is the message. I'm inviting. I'm inviting. You start to see it. Now again, Old Testament, this is what they are saying. Prophets were called to do this. Now this is really interesting to me. Again, fascinating. Same word means spoke or to call. So let's go back to Genesis 1. Who did a lot of speaking in Genesis 1? (gasps) And what happened? (gasps) Which is this word. Now, this is really fascinating to me. Let's just, again, I like wordology. I like to follow the flow of thought. So from Genesis, and by the way, the word preach shows up in Revelation too. So from Genesis to Revelation, this word keeps popping up. But in Genesis, the author, the originator, we can say, of the call is speaking. So what I love about this is we know that Jesus came to do the Father's business. So now in history, if you just want to follow words, who do we know 
also did this. God. Oh, that makes me happy. Okay. So you get to see flow of thought. It's original. So now this is fascinating to me. So again, God is speaking. It's, so it's the same word. I told you there's not very many words in Hebrew. It's context. So again, there's the speaking element to this. So God is speaking, and he is calling things into being, and then he creates Adam, and what does he give him the power to do? Name, which is the same word. Again, flow of thought. Are you getting excited? See this stuff? I'm like, yeah. Okay. All right. So you start to see the flow of thought. All right. So in Isaiah 61, which if you did not know, is the parallel scripture to this, which I put up last week. Okay, and in Isaiah uh, 61, there is another one in there. Um, if you follow it, it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good news. All right, so this is again where you get into an interesting idea. So this one is the Hebrew word, um, well, it's 1319 is the number. And is the Hebrew word B-A-S-A-R. And it literally means, that I'm, when I say this, you're going to laugh. It means flesh, and it means to announce. So a good example of this, our words that would kind of conjoin this would be a messenger in person, so to speak. All right, so if we read through this, this is what gets me so excited. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. So what do we have if we were doing bookends for the, for the operation of the gifts? What do we know? Holy Spirit's there because the Lord hath anointed me. Good, another word for anointed is appointed. Me to what? And then you start to see another flow, and preach is in there. And this is interesting. This is why I, it's another one of those that flows in all of these ideas that I think you should uh, get. So let's go to Psalm 40, 8 and 9, and I'm going to have somebody draw that out for me or read it. This is King David writing to God, and he says something. Okay. Psalm 48, Yeah, that's good. Good tidings. Good news. I'm going to write good news. Good news. Uh, glad news or good news. Okay, so what did he say first? He said, I delight to do your will, which means, what do we know about David? David was one of those few people that had the Holy Spirit upon him. He went after God's heart. So we know that to be an element. But because he was doing that, he got into an assembly, and what did he do? 
So this is what I think is so interesting when I read this, because this is awesome. He gets into a body of people who are worshiping God, and what does he do? So would you say his gift is being activated by the body because he's in there? Now, are you starting to stop and see how this changes scripture just a little bit because you're starting to see this play out? Okay. So again, anytime there was announcement, now this really gets me excited. Anytime there was an announcement of military action, a messenger was sent. This word is used. This 1319. Okay. So keeping all that in mind, let's go to uh, Luke. Um, Actually, I'm going to keep that one for just a second. So um, it's a military term um, that pops up time and time again um, for preaching of good tithings, ones that you would see at the birth of a son. So, okay, all right. So you have um, that being done, uh, and then we see another word pop up, which is the one most of you are probably most related to today. So we have this word, which means some sort of messenger to announce. We have this one, which means to proclaim and invite. And then we have this idea pop up of um, that relates to it, which is the one you all study today, uh, which is in Matthew 4:17, Matthew 10:1, and it is the Greek number G two. Zero <clears throat> nine seven, which is a word that is what? If you got that, two zero nine seven. Actually, I got that all wrong. Ignore me. Thank you. I got that wrong. See, awesome, Martha. All right, relates to G two zero nine seven, um, and it is in Luke one nineteen, Luke two ten, Luke four eighteen. Sure. Luke 1, 19, Luke 2, 10, Luke 4, 18. Uh-huh, sorry. And did anybody get this number, 2097? Okay, what is it? What is the word? E-U-A-G-G-E-L-I-Z-O. All right, and what does this mean? Announce, declare. All right, so I, I, as I was sitting here talking, I confused myself, so I'm going to stop that and I'm going to go back to this. Announce, declare, good tithings. All right. Now, what happens a lot in Scripture is what we have here is this word, to preach or to call. Actually. Um, we actually have this one over here, which means, uh, ah, I confused myself. I'm sorry. Uh, to announce, um, or a messenger to come and do this. This is where I got confused. Ah, my fault. We'll try again over here. This number goes with this one. Now it makes so much more sense. All right. G O, uh, two zero nine seven. And this is the E-U-A-G-G-E-L-I-Z-O, which means, um, what did you say, Martha? 
announce, declare. Right. All right. Why is this important? All right. So let's go to Luke 2.10, if somebody will read that to me. Yeah, 2.10. Okay, so I just want to point this out to you. So what are they talking about? Let's put it in context. Where are the angels? And heavens, and who are they talking to? So they're teaching, they're at a body. They've come down and they've announced and declared, which by the way is the same idea of a good news, the idea that some sort of operation is about to happen. And what you see here, the preaching of the good news Normally it comes in the flesh. When somebody announces the birth of a child, when somebody announces these things, it comes in physical form, which is what this Hebrew counterpart is. But right before Jesus shows up, what happens? Who announces it? And who did they come from? Starting to see a flow thought? So this is what I was telling you. I got so confused trying to figure all this out. Where's this preaching come from? I want you to understand there's two different things going on. There's announcing, which means the good tithings have come, and then there's actual the message of what it is. And that's what's happening in these scriptures. So what the angels were doing was doing what? They were saying, it has come. Here you go. All right? In a body, that is what's being said. Um, somebody go to Revelations 4, 6, uh, 14, 6, please. Sorry about that, by the way. So there's an angel in the air, and what are they doing? Preaching, yep, so they are doing exactly what we were saying. That word right there is G2097. So you see it in Genesis all the way through. You start to see this idea of preaching. You ought to see this idea of calling out. You start to see this idea of announcing. And part of what I want you to get is is the glad news, the good tithings that have come, keep coming. It keeps on. It's continual. This announcement of good news. So that's part of what um, I wanted to draw you to. So if somebody uh, has Luke 4.18 again, let's go there. Correct. So he was called to uh, preach the gospel, which is G2097. And what is the next thing that he was uh, supposed to do to heal the brokenhearted? And what are the next words? To proclaim uh huh, release of the captives. All right. So he's supposed to preach the gospel, which is this one, and proclaim 
which is one we haven't gotten into yet, 2784. So this 297 is back over here. He is declare. He is to announce. Now here's a question I have for you. Are there times in scriptures where Jesus just walks in somewhere and announces? So what you start to see is in one person who has come to earth as Godhead in that, he's come doing both. He's not only announcing, he's going to tell you what it is. All right, so release of the captives is this 2784, okay? This is one you should have all probably looked up. Um, what is the number on this one? 2784, yes, you're right, 2784. And what is this one? Uh-huh, K-E. Okay. And what does that mean? To teach <clears throat> with authority that must be listened to. If you're going to listen to it, what else do you have to do? There are two words you can throw out in Bible study that everybody cringes at. Uh-huh. That's really what this word means. To teach with authority and must be listened to and obey. So Jesus says in one sentence, this is why it got confusing to me because I'm like, I don't understand what the point of this is. He preaches and announces that he's here. He's to proclaim, preach the gospel. He's to proclaim, I am here. Just like the angels did, just like when a birth of a son has happened, just like when a military action is supposed to happen, he's announcing it. All right? But he also is to preach, release to the captives, and that is to teach with authority that must be listened to obey. Now, this is interesting to me because this falls under, and probably the best way to think of this, and this particular word shows up 61 times in Scripture. <clears throat> this one I find interesting because this is more, and I think it, it has a better connotation if we put it back with John the Baptist. What did John the Baptist come to preach to the people? Repent. Now, what I just told you about this word, what was he doing? It had to be listened to and obeyed. Okay? Starting to make a little difference what their difference is. So what you have going on is, and this is what we're going to get into when we start pulling these apart as far as evangelists, that some have a skill set, and evangelists are very specific. When you use evangelist or to preach, you could be talking about just sharing the gospel, you could be talking about a specific message, or you could be talking about just, again, something that has to be obeyed, okay? And that's why this all got confusing, because as I was reading it, I'm like, she's just said do a, what was her wordage there for that? We were supposed to do a transliteration. Yeah, I went, I don't even know really what that is. Um, but part of what I want you to understand is why it's important that we have this. Do they pretty much, if we were just going to look at them all, do the same thing? Some of them do. Yeah. So I don't want to get lost in all the wordage, even though I did put it up there. I wanted you to see this. But I will tell you what God put on my heart this morning, which I think is very profound. 
is something um, that I think is really goes to the heart of what he's trying to get to the people, and that is in Luke 9:60. So if you go to Luke 9 verse 60, and this is very familiar to you all. Yeah. Okay, so Luke 9, 16. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. All right. So, do you know, put it in context. Do you remember what happened here? Luke 9, 60. What has happened? There's a man that comes up to him and he says, I'm your disciple. I want to follow you. <clears throat> and he says... I can't, I have to go bury my family. And what does Jesus say? That word there, proclaim, or in some translations it says preach. Now this is interesting to me. I'm not really concerned about the word study, just what it means in context. And preach, that's actually G1229, which she did not get into. And by the way, there's like four others, two preaches all throughout scripture. Um, this one is G1229. This is interesting. It means to go abroad everywhere you go proclaiming. So what did Jesus call him into? He, he approached him and said, go. Now this is interesting to me because I want you to understand this man declared himself to be a follower. He went and asked what he should do in authority. He was told what to do, but he didn't do it. Now, we were talking about the bookends of our gifting and that sort of thing. We're supposed to what? Love the body and listen to the Holy Spirit. When Jesus is right there, I'm just going to say straight up, that's probably what you need to do. Boom. So does this story start to take on a different turn of events when you see God has empowered him to do something and what was his response? Where's the bookend? Do you see the bookend? The bookend was on family. It was on self. I read that because I was doing this list, and I went, oh, that story changes completely. What I wanted to show you just by doing some of that was so you could see contextually through Scripture that you're seeing these elements way beyond. You know, I always wondered, why did the angels come and announce the birth? It was cultural. It was supposed to be done. God was calling him out just as he did when he started the earth. And he was calling him out and proclaiming him good news. And who else to come and proclaim um, that Jesus is born than angels? What other messenger are you going to send if you're God on high? Start to see the, which is really interesting because now put that in the body and with the gifting. What are we supposed to do if you have this gift? Use it, I agree. Use it. <laughs> but what else? What is the point of the gift? Correct. And there are people who come with the authority which is what I think you're seeing in evangelists, 
that when they announce and when they speak, it would be like speaking the words of God. It's something you have to obey. It is not just the overall general good news, God has come. It is repent. I like to say, whoa, you wicked sinners. There you go. <clears throat> All right. Does that get you kind of excited a little bit? Too much? It's a lot. <laughs> yes, it is. I told someone teaching often is like a fire hose. I just, and then it comes out and then I'm like, whoa. The only thing I really wanted to show you with that, and if I overwhelmed you, and my notes are a lot clearer, um, I didn't mean to necessarily tell you all that to confuse you. I wanted you to see that from the beginning of time, God laid a foundation for his son to be born, and there was order. There was announcement. This is what is happening. And that is what this man who declared himself to be an apostle or a disciple of Jesus came and asked him directly, what should I do? And he told him, go out, basically be a missionary, go. And he couldn't do it. You also see David doing the same thing. David got into a large group of body and he couldn't help it. He had to proclaim the good news. It was in them to do that. So when people say Old Testament and New Testament don't correlate, that's really what I wanted to say today is what do you think? Uh, uh, sure. When I figured out that the temple was a symbol of what Jesus was going to do and it all flowed, it really just all of a sudden there was this overwhelming sense of continuity. You know, scripture is one of those things. And I was raised in an environment where scripture was broken and it had to be added to. So for me to understand that from beginning, from Genesis to Revelation, the flow of thought was there. Mind-blowing for me, heart-changing for me, because I keep asking, why isn't it enough? So, Isn't it great? All right, so we got those there. Now I really want to just get into what the gift was, which is all the cross-references you all did. <laughs> all right. Some good stuff happened today. And thank you all for going through that. All right. So 2097 and the 2748 are the two that you should know. That's really what she wanted you to get at. But what I was showing was they were connected in Old Testament. So we will go forward with Jesus, and let's talk about him. So he is an evangelist. And what did we find out about Jesus and evangelism? What did you pull up? What is it that he did? Yeah, 
preach the gospel. So what is the gospel? Yeah, that's fine. Matthew four seventeen and twenty three. Mhm. The kingdom. I loved it. He preached repentance. So it's kingdom is at hand. So what is the repentance? We talked about that. It was that one you have to obey. It isn't. I could slide in with just a good thought. It is you have to obey it. So he's preaching with that type of authority. All right. What else did he go around and do? And I want to write this up there. He preached um, the good news or proclaimed good news to the poor. And by the way, this is not this is not um, how we look at it as the poor not having wealth. What is this? What is the poor here? Spiritual poverty. It is the meek. Proclaim good news to the poor. Okay, and Luke 20, 1 and 2, if you look that up, what did you see there? Mm-hmm. So he taught in the temple, and he was proclaiming the good news. Okay. So here's a question I'm going to ask you. He preached the gospel in the temple so all could hear. Do you think that that was a very specific message for authority, or do you think that was the good news of salvation, or what do you think that was? Just looking at Luke 21 and 2. Already establishing. So this is one of those things I want you to know. There's kind of that idea that evangelism, he came to say, I am he who is, you've been waiting for. And the other one is, is you need to repent, you wicked sinner. So there's two of those things going on. For some of the people who have been waiting, just him being present would have been enough because that's what their hearts have been longing for. However, there's a group of us that are analytical and rebellious and that's really what the other one is for. Teach with authority so you have to obey. Yeah. I probably would have been in the group of the Pharisees that he came. John the Baptist and I probably gone a few rounds, I suspect. Um, what do you mean? What do you mean I have to repent? Anyway, so yeah. Um, in Mark 1, uh, you see Jesus do something as well. Mark 1, 38. If you have that one. And what does it say he did? Right, so Jesus actually says he's preaching, and he's going, um, he's actually traveling. Okay? So in Matthew 9.35, this is where Kay kind of got into a discussion at the bottom of page 57. Thank you bottom of 57 um, and also um, uh, actually the top verse 7 um, or number 7 you see Matthew 9 35 Jesus is teaching in the synagogues proclaiming the gospel and this is what got me even more excited when I read this because what's happening because he's teaching and preaching in the 
in um, the gospel. And what is healing? A gift. And why do gifts show up? To show that the authority of God is there and that the spirit is present. So now you start going, because oh, you start to see, oh, oh, I don't know if it happened to you, but when I started seeing this, I'm like, I understand now why in the body you have these gifts and then you have signs show up to say, this is from me. So you have that continuity of authority. You have that continuity of who it's from. Anyway, it's just really fascinating because not do you see it just in our body, which is in Acts, which starts happening, but you see it in who? In Matthew 9.35? Jesus! So, you know, everybody always talks about how Jesus had the power to heal. That was one of the examples of the Son of God. It also shows his authority as being who he said he was because he came and he was healing people. The Holy Spirit... You know, the sign of it is happening there uh, partly because he's a bondservant. He said, this is whose authority I've come under. This is what I'm doing. And because he's just present doing what he's called to do, the Holy Spirit shows up in the midst of them and he himself heals. I just think that's great. So you start to see these elements. All right. So this is Jesus. So this is one. Let's move on to the 12 apostles. What do you see them doing as well with the preaching? A little different. Um, this one's going to be Matthew 10. Yeah. So this is interesting. Uh, they are to preach to the Israelites. So... They're supposed to not only go and preach, but what accompanies the preaching. And by the way, when the, the shepherds came, or the angels came to the shepherds, what appeared in the sky? A sign in wonder, a star in the sky. I just get real excited because I'm like, oh, this is so good. You start to see it through scripture. Stories that you used to see now have some pattern to them um, and what is happening. The good news has come. Okay? And Mark, uh, after Jesus' resurrection, this is Mark 16, after Jesus' resurrection but before his ascension, he instructed the 11 to do what? Mm-hmm. I used to have a friend that said they believed they were supposed to go preach to the animals from that scripture. I was like, yeah, no, I don't think that's what that means. <clears throat> okay. Luke 24, Jesus appeared to the 11 and others, telling them what? Mm-hmm. They were to preach... And to proclaim his name to all nations. Okay, so flow of thought. You have angels come and announce that his birth has happened. You have Jesus rise up and start teaching. And then after he is done 
before he's leaving, he is also empowering what? He's giving his authority to who? To do what? Because he is master and you do the work of the master. So you see that continue on. Okay? Um, and then you uh, see a lot of others go on. Interesting, um, there's another person that pops up. Uh, we know, I would say Paul's an evangelist. So we know the 11 were called to it. Who's another name that pops up that you're like, where did he come from? Philip. So I want to write Philip over here. Is Philip one of the 12? No. Who is Philip? By the way, one L. Philip. Who is he? Anybody wonder where he came from? He's an axe. So what happened in Acts when Peter says, we're not supposed to serve, we're supposed to go and preach, okay? There are seven people that step up to serve. Philip is one of the seven. And I think that's Acts, I want to say it's four or six. I think it's six. I think that's Acts 6. All right, so here comes Philip. So, um, yeah, it's from Acts 6. I was right. Acts 21.8 says, Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven. There you go. So in Acts 8, 5 through 13, now I find this fascinating. What happens? In Acts 8, Philip is on his way to Samaria, and he is teaching, and something's happening all the time. What? Signs. What are signs Signs there for? To confirm the authority. So Philip, we know, has the authority. He's been sent out. He is now teaching. This one just is like, whoa. All right, something weird if you follow Acts 8 happens. Anybody read that and go, huh, just me? That's the, yep. He just disappears. He's teleported. We have no idea how. It's a wonder. <clears throat> See, this is what I'm telling you. Television has not come up with anything that God has not done. At some time or another, which I think is great and has authority. But there's this thing. But here's some of this. It says signs and wonders are there. So now you're understanding who gave him his authority. Peter did. He said, let us do this. So they did this. It goes to Philip. Philip is out. He has authority because you see the signs and wonders. And not only that. What happens to the um, person that he's traveling with, the Ethiopian eunuch? He's saved. He accepts. All right, so we've done some dedication. So I want to say that we are more in the line of Philip because it would be after the apostles, but this authority has kind of trickled down to us today. Um, so if we were going to talk about that evangelist or evangelism, like Philip, what is it that they're supposed to do? 
We are supposed to, what are evangelists do? They are to bring the good news, right? Have you ever been around the gift of evangelism? Anybody? You could no longer help them from sharing the good news than you could stop me from teaching, if that makes any sense. It doesn't matter what it is. I try to teach everything. It's ridiculous. But with an evangelist, and it will be one of those things that as a person out and about, it might terrify you. I have a really good friend who has this gifting. We'll be sitting for dinner. The waitress will come or um, the person serving us, and she'll just go, do you know Jesus? I just got my check. And, you know, and I'm just like, oh, man. And that's my reaction. Okay? She can no longer stop her gift to the brokenhearted than she can. It's in her. It is so her. She has to share. All of her friends, it's who she is. And what's great is, is most evangelists who are really good, they are part of a body. But where do they most do most of their work? Because who are they working with? And that's what I love about her. If Her life is structured such that she has everybody that you can imagine who has come in contact with her. She proclaims the good news. It is who she is. She could no longer, I mean, it's just so funny to me because I'm like, the first time it made me uncomfortable, then I went back and I went, that's what she is in the body. It's who she is. She draws them in. When I go places, you know, with her, she's like, this is my dog groomer. I just told her yesterday about Jesus. Why don't you share? Okay. Yeah. So what what do you think? <laughs> I'm just like, okay. Awkward. Um, so this gets into a really good thing because that is her gifting. That is the way that she's supposed to move. Then one of the things that happens is, is that isn't necessarily my gifting, but I am a witness, correct? So what's the difference between evangelism and witnessing? We are all called to be witnesses. So these are believers who share. And evangelism is a gift for the body, for the building up of the body. Specifically, calling these people in. Now that I've said that it's an invitation that the early prophets were called to invite people to come to the table. Now do you see what evangelism is? <clears throat> they can no longer help it than anything. They have to tell them about Jesus. They have to invite them. It is in them to invite everyone they know, and they do it all the time. It never shuts off, and it's just really great. I just If you know someone who truly is one, it just delights your heart because you're like, oh, yeah. We're, yeah, okay, that's, yep, that's what's happening, okay, and, you know, we're shopping for clothes, and we're in the middle of Nordstrom's, and, hey, do you know Jesus? I just got this, I need to tell you about Jesus. Okay, I'm looking at the shoes, you know, because it's going to be a while, but that's part of what, you know, what we get into is this is what, there's a witness, and there's an event, that is what their job is, and they want to do it. That's what, so this is what's difficult in the body. In the body, it's something that comes out of them. It is activated, and specifically by people who are seeking God. So that's one of the reasons why they get activated. So we always say, if you really want to know God, he will reveal himself to you. 
Welcome to what an evangelist does. They are doing the work of God, sharing the good news, and it gets activated when someone is in the seeking stage or wants to know God. It automatically, at the appointed time, here comes an evangelist. Isn't it good? Their main focus for an evangelist is for the lost to hear the truth, and they are always bringing lost souls. So here's the question. Do you think an evangelist would ever probably retire? No, they'll find a new body and keep moving. <laughs> That's right. That's right. They will just do that. Okay? All right, so that's evangelism. Does that help you understand a little bit about the gift? It is this gift of calling out, naming, proclaiming. And, you know, even God from the very beginning called things into existence. It is that thing when you are seeking, he will call out to you. He isn't going to leave you. It is that relationship that he has with his people. Oh, that's good stuff. All right. I'm going to go ahead and move on to shepherd teacher, if you're okay with that. A little easier. Do you guys have any questions over what we covered with the evangelist? I'm sure you'll have a lot this week. All right, so she asked a question that I'm going to ask because you probably all did your homework. So I'm going to ask you, is shepherd, pastor, or what you would call a pastor, and teacher, same gift, two different gifts? Two different? He, he could have both. I, so this is my agreement. I believe that they may have both, um, whether you look at it as the same gift or not. I don't think it, it really uh, matters. But I believe that this one has a much more um, impactful for long term. So I'm going to write it up here because the way that she had it listed was shepherd. And you guys say pastor. Is uh, the NASB say mostly pastor? Okay. So pastor or and teacher okay so shepherd teacher pastor teacher okay uh what is the greek for that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what is it that is what i have awesome and what does that mean a shepherd yep so pastor it is uh I heard that over there. It is a shepherd. It is what? A feeder? Protector? Manager? Super what? Superintendent. That's a good word, superintendents. All right, this is what I have. A pastor, as I drew it out, watches for the enemy. So it watches for the enemy. I was going to say in an enemy. It defends the flock. Okay. 
It heals the wounded sheep. It saves lost or trapped sheep. It loves them. Now this is the one I really like. It shares their life with them. It earns their trust. is always attached to a body. You have to have a flock. So I'm going to ask you real quick, is it the job of a shepherd or a pastor to go out and evangelize, go find the people and bring them in? What is their job? So these are ones that are in the flock that are Believers. So I want you to get that. That is their job. Now, a lot of the times what we do is we overburden a pastor with too many things that are not their job. Their job is to do this. Watches for the enemy. It defends the flock. It heals the wounded, saves the lost, loves them, shares their life with them, earns the trust. Yeah. Now, one of the things I read, which I really like this, um, it lets the sheep graze under their watchful eye. Isn't that beautiful? Okay. All right. So I'm going to do something because sometimes it's always good to go with what you know. Let's go to Psalm 23. Go with what you know. Most of you could probably recite it. All right, so Psalm 23, what does that say? Who is the great shepherd? All right, so let's go back to what we said earlier. Jesus was an evangelist. Jesus was an apostle. Jesus was a prophet. And he's a good shepherd. (laughs) And who said that? By the way, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. David said that. The Lord is my shepherd. All right? What else does it say? I shall not want. He's keeping a watchful eye. What else? Green pastures. Yep. Still waters. You starting to see the in the body? So I believe wholeheartedly that when... David was saying this. He was talking about the great shepherd, of course, but I also was telling you what life in the flock should be like. Yea, though I walk through the valley or the shadow of, I will what? Because... So what you start to see is if the good shepherd is attached to the body, he's earning their trust, he's sharing their life with them, he's loving them, they will not fear. 
kind of interesting. All right. So two words here, shepherd. I do want to cover teacher real quick. Did somebody do the lookup of that one? Mm-hmm. And what does that word mean? I have instructor. Master. Isn't that great? Master. What does that call you into if you say master? <laughs> I used to tell my students that. I'm like, yeah, I don't have a doctorate, but master works. <clears throat> okay. Um, teaching the things of God. This is what they should be doing. Teaching the things of God. And the duties of man. And duties of man, I mean that within the body. And by their life, they should live a life that shows a way to salvation. Now, just in doing that, this is one of the things I want to share. When I read that in the, in the Greek, that he, the person is supposed to show the way of salvation. All right, so if we want to separate them, just for good chuckles, so we know Jesus is an apostle, Jesus is an evangelist, Jesus is a prophet, Jesus is a pastor, shepherd, Jesus is a... Because nothing says the way of salvation as in being the way of salvation. <laughs> and then I just read that. I thought, yeah, that, that's good stuff right there. God likes to, to give us a chuckle uh, on that. All right. So let's just do a little bit here because... Jesus does two things um, with the references that we got. They call us into two different categories. There's Jesus, and then Jesus passes on the care to Peter. And I want to talk about both of those. So we have Jesus. Oh, okay. I was like. <laughs> All right. So on Jesus' example, and you did a lot of cross-references about this, let's talk about this. What, what did you see in John 10? Page 68. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Did he perhaps say that somewhere along the lines when he made that proclamation? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Gatekeeper. He lays his life down for a sheep. Hmm. Does that seem awful familiar to something that Jesus did? He leads them out and they follow him where did he say he was going going to the father to do what for who which is the flock it is for the body yeah so flock and body are interchangeable here so jesus gives an example of what is really uh, a good shepherd he calls his sheep by name i didn't write that down by the way 
I want to pour this back into something just real quick. He calls his sheep by name. So if someone really wants to hear about Jesus, does that happen? What does scripture say? He desires what? All to come. He calls his sheep by name. He knows us. Not only as a body, but also individually. Not just the flock. Um, I went to, so this is interesting. I've traveled quite a bit, and I was in Ireland, and they no longer brand sheep. Anybody know what they do? Paintball them. Pretty much. So you're driving down the hill, you're like, pink, blue, yellow. And I'm like, those are the weirdest looking sheep I've ever seen, but that's what you see. But they do that for the shepherd to know what? My sheep. The blue ones are mine, the pink ones are yours, the green ones are... And I thought about that because in our own humanity, we had the beautiful knowledge of marking sheep to call our own. Hmm. Huh. By chance, do we bear a mark? Who marks us? Holy Spirit. So... Just the thought, so we are in a flock, whether we like it or not, and our flock is global as we roam around the earth. We get to have this wonderful thing, but no matter where we go, whose are we? So anyway, kind of an interesting thing. Then a strange thing happens. Jesus sets this example out and says um, a few things, and then he has this interesting conversation with Peter, and I want to go over that just a little bit. So... Anybody want to pull that up? The conversation he has with Peter? I'm going to put the... Mm-hmm. 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 It is. It's... Yep. Okay. What does he say next? So something hit me for the first time that I had never done before. So this is Jesus to who? When in the timeline is this conversation happening? So the resurrection has happened. Jesus is, it's before his ascension. So before, so he hasn't done this yet. So he is right in on the timeline. They're right here. And he is having this conversation with Peter. Now, I just told you a good shepherd shares their life with them, loves them, is attached with them. Jesus says you have to lay your life down for your sheep, which he has done because he's the good shepherd. Okay, so let's just go through this. If you were a shepherd and the most important thing to you is your sheep and you're about ready to leave their presence, what would you put in their stead? So who does he appoint? Now, I find this fascinating because he appoints one person. And who is that? You just said it. So he appoints Peter and gives him specific instructions on what to do. Now, why I think this is interesting is because this conversation is happening right before he ascends. So his concern, again, is 
this is his body. He loves them. He isn't ready to just, all right, see y'all later. He wants them to have care, and he gives it to Peter. So let's back up a little bit. Before this event, what has Peter done? <laughs> Let, let's just be honest. What did Peter do? So before the cross, we have Peter denying Christ. All right. So now where do you think Peter is in his belief system? Because Jesus has come back. So I just want you to, again, real people happening, not just walk it through. He's denied him. This is the Messiah that has clearly died and come back to life. And we're having a conversation. Are you going to listen to anything he says? Yes. A lot of people make the thing that the reason it says it three times is because he denied Christ three times. I don't necessarily believe that. Um, some people try to make that leap. I think it's just when you want something done, you emphasize it over and over again. And he only does this with Peter, which I find very interesting. So let's talk. So this word tend, what does it mean? So, mm -hmm. so this one right here, and by the way, I have this one as feed. That's another way if you have that translation. It's G1106. And this is what I did on my sheet. So G1, and I think this helps us understand what this does. So what is it that that's supposed to do? So he's supposed to feed and nourish. Who are the lambs? New believers? Where's the church? What stage are we in? We are babies. And if you look up what lamb means, it's baby. Just so you're aware. And I did that. Anyway, so yeah, a young lamb. So would you say that the first command is for the church currently? Where And what stage they are in? Yep. So 10. So Jesus is here, so he's supposed to continue to nourish them. All right. So what's the next thing he's supposed to do? Shepherd, and what is that one? Shepherd is, is it 4165? And what did you come up with? Just so you know, Peter is one of the ones is, is basically doing a foundation for the church. That's what he does. All right, so you've got them. Um, you're going to need to nourish them. Now you're going to have to govern them. And then he says what? Tend, which is what? Same one. It means uh, same thing. Yeah. So you're going to have to continue this on. 4165? Uh, okay. Yeah. G1006, which means nourish them. Mm-hmm. 
which is what? Mature. Okay, so real quick, we have lambs, which are babies. So again, don't know anything. Then you have shepherding my sheep. They're maturing, but you're governing now because they're not babies anymore. And then you're tending them or you're nourishing them and continuing on to feed them in the church. They are a body. I love that one of Jesus' last conversations is for what? He didn't raise up a flock to abandon them. He was there with them. Okay? All right. So let's go real quick and write out what, what all goes with the shepherding. So you also have that as well. We have some of this, and we have the gatekeeper. I'm going to raise that. Then I'm going to come over here, and we'll write down some other things. So what are some big truths that we took away from pastor, shepherd, teacher, um, if we want to call them all that? What is it from your cross-references you came up with? First Peter 5. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of qualifications on how to shepherd. And by the way, who's the best person to tell us how to shepherd? And who would be the second? So you see Peter giving a lot of qualifications on how to shepherd, if you didn't know. Um, right here. So First Peter 5, he makes a big list. So what do you see some of there? Uh-huh, exercise oversight. Okay, what else? What are they not supposed to do? Uh-huh, you're not supposed to lord over them. And... For the will of God or according to the will of God. Be an example. Okay. I would agree. Be humble. All right. So just as kind of a... Um, real quick, just uh, some of these overlap, but First Timothy um, ver uh, chapter three, verse one through seven, and Titus one, verses six through nine, give some great qualifications for what you should be looking for in a mature believer or someone who is leading. And I'm just going to read them off to you for time's sake. But if you make a list of those, here are some. This is called maturity in the church. They should be a blameless steward of God. They should be a faithful husband to his wife. They should be temperate, sober, and vigilant. They should be sober-minded. Where has that shown up? Sober-minded showed up in the gifts. They should be of good behavior. They should be orderly. They should be given to hospitality. They should be able to teach. They should not be violent. They should be patient, forbearing, gentle. 
They should not be lovers of money. They should rule their house well and be faithful, not raising up rebellion towards God. They should not be new convert or a novice. They should not be self-willed. They should be a lover of what is good. They should be holy and devout. They should be self-controlled. They should hold firmly to the faithful message as it has been taught. This is what 1 Peter was getting at. You want people who are mature enough, who understand their place in the body, who are going along and attaching themselves to the body, earning their trust, sharing their life with helping them when the flock needs it, and then loving on them. Okay, so what is it, though, eventually that a pastor should do, and it's just because we're talking about the gifts, and we're going to put this back into the gifts, what should a shepherd teacher do for individuals? What should be the main goal if we're talking about gifting? What is the goal overall of all the gifts? Maturity, to grow the body. So no matter what, the gift of uh, teacher, pastor, teacher, should, no matter what, edify the body and grow the body. All right, and we see this example with Jesus. So we're growing the body, the flock, you are no longer able to care for them. What should your goal be? Just as what, um, just what Jesus did. What should happen? You should be looking for what? You should be raising up other people who are uh, managing, tending, caring, watching. It's not one of those things where you get one and then that's it forever. And some people say our church can't get any bigger because we couldn't handle it. What is What should we be doing just like what Jesus showed us? And moving forward, I don't know that we do that very well in our churches here. We, I don't know that we nurture and bring people up. We have a tendency to go outside the body and get someone and bring them in, but I'm not sure that we actually raise them up a lot and disciple them. And that's what you're seeing over and over again here. We should do this because for someone to have all these qualities, you have to spend a lot of time with them to know all that. And that's one of the reasons why I think it's really good that we know um, a lot of what's going on in people's lives so we know whether or not they would be good shepherds or teachers. Okay? Um, interesting to me, she also pulled on day five from the Old Testament Jeremiah, one of my favorite prophets. What did she say in Jeremiah or, or have us write down about the, what a shepherd teacher is? And Jeremiah. We'll start with 17, Jeremiah 17, verse 16. Mm -hmm. You have a relationship God. A true shepherd doesn't run away from the flock or from speaking God's truth. These are the people who were leaders in Israel who were saying, oh, no, no bad will come upon us. Nothing bad will happen. Now, I want you to understand something, too. One of the things that people often do is, and they're doing it again in, a, in, in our culture, and you'll hear it a lot, 
Well, God hasn't intervened in a long time. He's not speaking today. We don't hear him. How do you know what the voice of God sounds like? You'll hear that from people. All right, so what do we know just from, again, sheep? What do we know about sheep? They're dumb. They really are. You are correct, Susan. They are so not smart. But here's the other thing. They know their master's voice. We absolutely know our master's voice. So when somebody says that to you, you could just go, I'm sending an evangelist to you. Um, anyway, so yeah. You could just go, okay, yeah. But you hear these things. So Jeremiah, um, this is one where he's like, okay, you can't run from the truth. You may not like what's going to happen. There's a lot of us that see what's coming, and we're like, I, I, I really hope I'm not here for that. But who is going to be here? There has to be some of us that are going to help raise up. You know, if we all run, that's not exactly right. We have to stand and do what we're called to do. So Jeremiah 2.8. What was happening there? Yep, they transgressed. They were saying that the prophet Baal was speaking, not God. Hmm, does anybody make their own idols and have them speak? My God is like this. Yeah, whenever somebody says that to me, I'm just like, just shush, just stop. Because that's not, yeah, that's not, yeah. So in Jeremiah 3.15, um, what is going on? Now, I think these two, the, this one with Ezekiel, I think she ended this lesson beautifully because God will give Israel who? A shepherd after his own heart who will feed them with knowledge and understanding. Um, and I think that that is such a beautiful thing. And then she ends it with Ezekiel. And if you like eschatology, let's go there. Ezekiel 34. Okay, so in Ezekiel 34, what happens is the Lord told Ezekiel to prophesy against Israel's shepherds and leaders. So his people, the Israelites, who God entrusted to leadership, his people, his beloved, the leadership had un, on purpose turned them against what God had called them to do. Now I want you to understand when God, how severe God takes this sort of thing. If you're speaking for God and you're leading a whole bunch of people astray, how bad do you think that is? It's very bad. So one of the things I want you to understand in Old Testament is these people were being led astray. There was a remnant. They still believed in God. Otherwise, you wouldn't have Ezekiel. You wouldn't have Jeremiah. You wouldn't have Isaiah. So there is a group that's still believing. But there's a group that went with their leaders thinking their leaders were leading them correctly and so he comes against them and he says i will give them a new heart i will place over them a leader who is david and i will be among them and it goes out that god will judge them he's going to find his sheep that's what it says in there i will find my sheep which sheep is he talking about the remnant 
which is the believing Jews. Yep, the remnant. He is going to find them. Um, he is going to bind the broken, strengthen the sick, and he will set David over them as a prince and make a covenant of peace upon them. What is the peace, the covenant of peace? Is it for not war, or what is a covenant of peace? That's exactly right. So a piece of cov- a covenant of peace is you are no longer with enmity with God. A covenant of peace is you will no longer be my enemy. You will be my beloved. So a lot of things we covered today, a lot of information very quickly. My question to you is, is after it's all said and done, what are you learning about the gifts? They are all for the edification of the body. And by the way, what I find fascinating is, is not just Christian believers, but who else? Jewish believers. He isn't going to leave them hanging. They're his people. That's what I love about this. There will be a great shepherd. He will be the king. He will be on his throne. And we will have what we need from him. And not only that, we will be together with him won't it be great we will be a flock we will be marked he will know that we are his so as they say there is coming a judgment time we won't face it because we are the church we are believers but in the great judgment he will say are you a goat or are you a sheep which one are we yeah in case you didn't know the answer to that is sheep we're the flock okay we want to be the flock We want to be under his care. We want to have that protector, manager. We want that for us. So one of the things I want you to understand, and I want to share this with you, it's been on my heart since I started doing this. We have a culture of I'm not getting from what I want from this church. I'll go somewhere else or I'll go there. I really want you to understand. Katie said it a few days ago to me, and it hit me because that's my. it's really been on my heart. And when she said it, it was absolutely true. She said to me, she said, Where you teach is where God has planted you because teachers should be spread out throughout the body and we should be raising up people to serve him with their whole heart. And it was just this thought. She has her body, my body, and that's what she said. She said, we have a body that we serve. And that's part of what really hit me is, is especially with these gifts, these gifts operate in a body where you are planted, rooted, and growing. If we all combined into one body in one setting, I guarantee you in our culture that wouldn't happen. So one of the things I want you to know is where you're at, find someone with like like um, gifting and that sort of thing and let them raise you up. Help them and let them mentor you, mold you, and grow you up if you don't know what your gift is. Because I believe wholeheartedly we aren't operating as a body in the gifting that he gave us. I think that's pretty clear from everything we've learned so far. And that's what gets me excited is once we started teaching this, I told Katie, I said, everybody I know who's teaching this has gone down. I said, so there must be an equipping of the body we are not getting. So I want you to know that there is a reason we're studying this. There's a reason. So think about that. Who can help mentor you, feed you, help you? What can you do? Because, again, we're to be the body. Right? Okay.
Good stuff. Mm -hmm. Now let's listen to Kay on 